0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, If you've got a Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter three. Man, I'm so thankful for everyone that participated over the last uh, weeks or a couple of weeks and let's go week. Uh, So many of our people serving in so many different ministries and just different capacities around the community. So thank you for that. Uh, So thankful for our staff members, uh, Tracy and her team, Donna, Heath, Taylor, all those folks on our staff that put that together did a fantastic job. And so, uh, man, that's really a part of who we are as a church. Like if if all we do is meet and gather inside a room, we're not really being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so uh, that's something that every one of our small groups does on an ongoing basis. Every month they're engaged in a local community um, service project. And so another good reason to be involved in a small group is because it gets you into the community uh, serving. Uh, As we're talking about this, don't forget today after the second service, uh, we have a interest meeting for those who are interested in going on a mission trip. And we have several uh, that are happening this spring, summer. And so uh, this is the first service. So you guys might grab a bite to eat and come back. But it's in the building next door, and uh, there's a lot of cool things that, uh, cool opportunities for you to go overseas. And and some is not overseas, some is actually uh, working with those who uh, have moved from overseas into different parts of uh, Georgia, actually. And so we're gonna go down there with the team. And so uh, lots of cool ways to be able uh, to serve. Uh, by now, you've probably seen the 1972 Marshmallow Experiment. Uh, it f- was first done by uh, Walter Mitchell of uh, Stanford University. You've seen the, the videos and you've seen the people uh, reenact these, this experiment, but essentially what he did was he placed uh, children in a room and they placed a marshmallow on the table for these kids. And they said, uh, if you uh, want a second marshmallow, then don't eat this one. And I'll come back in 15 minutes. And if you don't eat this marshmallow, then I'll give you a second one. Well, of course, if you've seen the videos, these kids are just like, you know, uh, lusting over <laughs> this marshmallow, uh, hugging it, squeezing it, licking it, all of these things. And, and uh, what's interesting is that some are actually able to overcome the temptation to eat right then and kind of delay that gratification and wait for the second one. Um, but as you can imagine, uh, the majority of the kids in the survey were uh, of the experiment were not able to wait, and uh, most, actually 600 of the kids, actually ate immediately, uh, while only one-third uh, actually waited, and so uh, if you've not looked those videos up, it's hilarious to watch these kids do this, but my point today is how it kind of correlates to future um, of these kids, and so what they did years later is the psychologist found these kids and studied their SAT scores and and found that the kids that were able to uh, overcome the temptation when they were younger actually had higher SAT scores. And so uh, it's interesting when you think about it that even in our early years, our ability to overcome temptation has a lot to do with our future success. And so I, I'm sure that nobody here is really worried about resisting, you know, a marshmallow today. That's not the greatest temptation that you have. You're you're probably trying to figure out how to not, you know, cuss out the guy that cuts you off in traffic. And uh, you're trying to figure out how to, you know, have a godly marriage and, and uh, figure that deal out, how to, you know, deal with your finances. And so that's kind of where most of us are at today. But as a follower of Christ, I mean, we all need to really value and think about and strive to overcome the temptations that are in our life. And every single one of us are going to have different temptations in life. You know, for the most part, we're going to have like these big buckets that all of us are going to struggle with. But in the middle of those big buckets of those, you know, sins, we're all going to have different bents towards different sins and different things that we're actually going to deal with. And so today I want to close out the series that we've been in for the last three weeks called uh, Christ Killers, Traitors and Villains. And today I want to talk about the ultimate villain and his name is Satan. I don't know how you could do a series called Christ Killers, Traitors and Villains and not talk about the enemy. But today uh, I want to talk about specifically his strategy to tempt you. And really it's an age old strategy It's the same strategy that he used in the Garden of Eden. And it's the same strategy that he uses on you and I today to tempt us, to kick us in the teeth and lead us to betray Jesus, just like Peter, just like Judas, and even like the villain, uh, Pilate. And in Genesis 3, you've got to remember that this is a point in the creation event and the history of the world where everything is perfect. Sin had not entered the world. And so Adam and Eve are living in paradise. They uh, have a right relationship with each other. They have a right and perfect relationship with God. They know peace. They know fulfillment. They know love. They know joy. God created this world. And he said that it was good. And they are enjoying the goodness of God. And so what happens? Like, how did the whole thing get blown up? And how does evil come into the story and ruin everything. And and, and here's where we start. We'll start in verse one of chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Starts off by showing us that there is this creature who speaks to Eve. And scripture says that he is more crafty than any of the others. And so my question, and maybe you know, you're here and you're kind of like a skeptic of the whole Christian kind of uh, uh understanding and maybe even the, the Bible for you is just kind of one of those I don't know if I believe it and when it comes to passages of scripture like this you're like are you are you telling me a snake is talking here? Is that what's going on? And, and a lot of people in our culture read that or see that, and it's hard to believe. And so, how are we to think about a serpent that actually uh, talks? And you know, we've heard parents talk, right? You've you've heard that. It's kind of creepy when they do, but uh, it's kind of mimicking, you know, uh, what they were trained to say, or, or kind of mimicking their, you know, the, the the person that kind of trained them to do that. Uh, you've probably heard dogs, how, and it sounds like a words. Have you seen those videos that come along, right? It's like, you it's like, I think he said he loves me. You know, it's like, I'm pretty sure if my dog Brutus could talk, he wouldn't say, I love you. He would say, touch me. <laughs> That's all he wants. Touch me, touch me. Don't, don't stop petting me. That's all he ever cares about. Um, and I know some wives are like, that sounds like my husband. But anyway. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, We know that this serpent had legs because after sin enters the world, part of the curse is that God curses this creature to crawl on its uh, belly. And so uh, we know and assume that, you know, it's called a serpent. You know, we assume that it's some type of snake. Uh, But remember, we don't actually have have a great understanding of this world. Remember, this is pre-fall, pre-sin, you're living in a world that is completely unlike what we live in today. I mean, you have all kinds of creatures and plants that have, that are extinct now. You're talking about dinosaurs. You're talking about a host of, of other types of animals and creatures that, that we don't even have any concept of. And so we're talking about a day and time that's hard for us to imagine. And so when it comes to this idea of a serpent talking, what what are we to actually think? Now, some people believe that Satan actually possesses this creature and talks through through him. And, and so we know in stories in the Gospels, um, uh, Matthew 8 specifically, where we know that demon possession can happen to people and that uh, uh, this possession can lead to this person actually uh, talking and communicating. We, we know that to be true in the scriptures. And some people believe that Satan actually transformed into this creature and, and then you know, spoke to Eve. Some people believe that, that it's simply Satan himself speaking and his name is the serpent, as he's called in the scripture. And so that's uh, kind of like a picture of him and just kind of a, a name for him. And so the truth is we don't actually know, right? And so sometimes we kind of we overanalyze things and when we overanalyze things and when we try to know for certain all of these things and we can't really prove any of it, that takes us in a cycle of just questioning everything or sometimes that just leads us to uh, all kinds of dark paths or whatever. But at the end of the day, what we do know is that Satan is here tempting Eve in some way. He is speaking to her and we also know that he is a real person. He is not like the floaty ghost kind of thing. It is a a real creation uh, of God. He was created as an angel and he decided that he was gonna go his way and do things his way instead of follow God's plan. And so God cast him out of heaven and then along with him, several of his angelic followers who we know and and call demons today uh, followed him as well. We know he is real. We know he has waged war against God, and that means he's waged war against you. Ephesians 6 says that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the reality is we are in a spiritual battle. And in our modern world, we don't like to touch it much and we don't like to think about it much and we try to pretend like it doesn't exist. But many of the reasons why we fail in temptations is because of this battle. The enemy wants to influence you. He wants to influence you through people, the relationships you're in, through culture, through music and television and your thought life and your emotions and Jesus calls him a liar. Jesus says that when he speaks, he's speaking his native language, which is, To lie. And so now the enemy can't make you sin. He can't make you do this. He did not make Adam and Eve sin. That was their choice. We are responsible for our own actions and we're responsible for our own decisions. And so, but he can stir up sinful tendencies in your life. He'll use your circumstances to cause you to think or to lead you to act out in uh, sinful ways. He'll use your weaknesses to persuade you. He'll use your strengths against you and, and uh, he'll use those to persuade you as well. He'll awaken desires in you that dispose you to sin. But ultimately, those are your decisions. You hear people say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the truth is the devil tempted you to do it, but you and I are actually the ones that cross over that line and are responsible For sin. And so here's what scripture says about this battle. First Peter 5 says, Be alert and sober-minded, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking or looking for someone to devour. And so we are called to be alert, and we're to be sober-minded to think clearly, to understand his schemes, and to be alert to those schemes, so that we can then overcome them and defeat those temptations. Second Corinthians 2.11 says he's talking about forgiving someone who has hurt you and he's calling us to forgive so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so my point in sharing this verse is that I don't want to be ignorant of his schemes. (laughs) I don't want you to be ignorant of his schemes, but I'm afraid so many of us are just ignorant. We don't understand. We don't, we don't We don't see it outlined in the Bible. We're not aware. We're not thinking about the spiritual battle enough to where we are in oftentimes in situations in our life, ignorant about how the enemy is trying to harm us. And so what is his scheme? What does it look like? How do we prepare for it? And today is about becoming more wise. It's about not being ignorant and becoming a little wiser and smarter and and, uh, maturing because Satan's game plan against you and against me is the same game plan that he brought against Adam and Eve in the very beginning. So let's keep reading in Genesis chapter three and we'll see this strategy. This is, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Uh, what do we see here? Uh, the first scheme or the first strategy of the enemy, number one, if you wanna take some notes, is that the enemy wants you to think about sin. It all starts in your mind. He wants you to think a thought about a sin. In verse one, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, right? So he wants you to think about a sin because if he can get you to think about a sin, he can take you into step two and step three. But it all starts with a thought here and Satan actually misquotes uh, the word of God. It misquotes what God said. God said you could eat of every tree in the garden. Eat from any tree and have anything that you would like except for don't eat the one tree that if you eat its fruit, it's gonna kill you. Don't eat from that one. Right? And so it's not that God said you shall not eat of any tree he was just the one, but Satan wants to misquote the word of God. The first step in this temptation though, for you, for me, is this thought. He wants us to entertain this sinful thought. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to, 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 to begin to doubt. And so we might say, well, you know, maybe God is just leading me because he doesn't want me or he he wants me to miss out on fun. And so we start thinking about, well, I'm missing out on all the fun, right? And so we start thinking about a sin. We start thinking about what everybody else is doing and gets to do. And so we feel like we're missing out. Maybe it's, you know, we think it's the most amazing thing on the earth to experience and everybody else is doing it and gets to experience it, but I'm, I'm not. And so we're we're thinking about it in our mind. Maybe God's trying to keep me from enjoying myself, we think. Perhaps, you know, it looks good. I'm sure it probably tastes good. And so maybe it is good, right? And so we're thinking in our mind, just think about it for a moment is what Satan wants you to do. That's part of his strategy. That's where it begins. Maybe it could be good. I think this is so true. I think it always starts in our mind. We, we think about getting angry at someone. We think about lashing out. We think about sexual sin. We think about uh, selfishness with money. We think about these things first before we act on them. So we, might, we might, even, might even think, man, I know sex before marriage is against God's design, but man, everybody else gets to enjoy that. It looks like they're enjoying it. So why can't I? And I... I know God has a plan for my finances and it's not just about me getting stuff and having fun. But if I give to God, then I won't be able to use it on myself. Satan wants you to think about it. He wants you to think about uh, that. He wants you to think it's not gonna hurt. No one's gonna know. Just all starts with a thought. But the second step after we think about it is then he wants us to have a conversation about sinning. He wants us to talk about it. Now this conversation might happen in your mind with yourself, it might be a conversation with a friend or like Eve, it might be a conversation with someone evil. It might be a conversation um, that you are having today and you're discussing what might happen. You're discussing and talking about how you could get away with it. And so this is how the conversation goes. It, It goes on and it goes on until you decide to say no or until you decide to say yes. And the longer you talk about it, the more likely we are to actually fall into that sin. We convince ourselves and we start to rationalize the sin. And so then we are more likely to fall for it. Eve should have walked away from the conversation, but she doesn't walk away. She engages the conversation. She talks through it. She, she responds to the enemy. And the more she talks about it, the more she's likely and begins to do letter A here, it is to doubt God's word. The more and more conversation that has had, the more she starts to doubt. Did God actually say? Well, I don't know. Is that really what the Word of God says? Maybe it means this, or maybe the Word of God isn't an authority in your life, or maybe. The word of God isn't true. I mean, after all, it was just written by a bunch of guys, right? So doubting God's word, doubting its truth, right? God said not to eat of the fruit of this tree. And he also said, don't touch it. So now, not only is Eve doubting the word of God, now she's adding to the word of God because God didn't say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it. But when you doubt God's word, you're doubting that it is enough. And so some people like to live in a Christian legalistic bubble in their life to make them feel better about themselves. And so they'll add a list of rules about what you've got to wear and how you've got to look, what you can eat and drink and what you should read and not read and what you can listen to and not listen to. And the list goes on and on and on. And you, some of you have experienced this legalism and and what we're doing is we're doubting that the word of God and the gospel is enough. And so we have to add things into the mix. And so the enemy wants you to doubt God's word today. And my fear in the Christian world, especially in America, is that there are Christians who simply do not value or trust the word of God anymore. There's not a love for the word There's not a hunger for the word. There's not a study of the word. And as a result, we have a generation of just weak Christians, weak mentally, weak spiritually. And it's all a a result of of, of our lack of interest and our doubt of how important and relevant the word of God is in our life. Well, not only does he want us to doubt God and doubt his word, but he also wants us to doubt the goodness of God, right? The storm has hit and the goodness of God is watering the plants today. (laughs) But the goodness of God is an important piece of this story because Eve is doubting that God is good. She lives in paradise. God has given them everything that they need, a right relationship with each other, a right relationship with God himself, but she is doubting that God's plan for her life is good. And listen, if you would just narrow it down, if you would get to the core of why you commit the sin that you commit, it is because you doubted that God's plan was better. And so you decided to run with your plan. You know who else did that? Satan. Satan. He doubted God's plan and he decided to do his plan. He wanted to be in control. He didn't want God to be in control. And the same is true for us. How often in our life do we live it in such a way that we would say, God, I'm not gonna follow your plan. I'm just gonna do my plan, go my way. I'm gonna ignore you. I'm gonna ignore your word. I'm gonna ignore godly advice or whatever it is. And we run with our plan. We doubt the goodness of God and we start thinking maybe God is wrong. In our doubt, we reach for the fruit and we think that the fruit is gonna be more fulfilling than God. Well, not only does he want us to doubt the goodness of God and to doubt God's word, but thirdly, after we think about the sin, we talk about the sin, number three is that the enemy makes sin look good. He makes it look amazing, right? Verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good, which means that this whole conversation is next to the tree. And so as they're talking about this, she's looking at it, right? You're already in trouble if you're looking, right? And having the conversation because she's looking at this as he's leading her to doubt the word of God. And she sees that it it looks good for food. And then it was a delight to the eyes. I mean, there's something about it that just looked beautiful, right? And the the lust for, for that taste just grew within her the more she talked about it. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The enemy said, you'll be like God, right? So you'll be wise like God, you're missing out. And so the enemy makes sin look good. And he makes sin look good because some of the things that we do that are sinful, were created to be good. God creates many good things for us to enjoy when we follow his plan. Like the easiest one is is sex, right? And so it's like sex is good. It is right, feels good. It's wonderful. It's a blessing from God should be enjoyed in and through God's plan, which is marriage. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. However, when we use that good thing for our own thing outside of God's plan, we make a good thing a bad thing, right? But Satan wants us to only see what is good about it. And we believe him. And as a result, many of us have fallen into that sin. And we doubt the word of God. We we see that, man, maybe this is good, but it's only good for a moment. Because that moment ends and when that moment ends, the feelings of guilt and, and it only opens us up for more suffering in our life. And this is true for any sin in our life. We think it's good, we think it's gonna be great, but we, we do the sin and it just brings and adds more suffering in our life. He makes it look good because some of the things that, that we involve ourselves in are good. We just take it outside of God's plan. Secondly, Satan makes things look good just simply by lying to us. I'm telling you, he's lying to us through the songs we listen to and through what we see in the news and what we see on TV and what we're looking at at social media every week. The enemy is just lying to us. And you can only be lied to for so long before you start believing some of those lies. It's just human nature. We're We're not wise enough and smart enough that if something is just, inundated in and through our minds over and over again. And eventually we're gonna start to believe and doubt and and we're gonna be persuaded. And so Satan lies, you're not gonna die. Go ahead and eat it. You're not gonna die. In fact, if you eat it, you're going to be like God. Your eyes, Satan said, will be opened. And so she says, maybe I can eat it and I'm not gonna face any of the consequences, right? Nobody's going to know. My wife's not gonna know. My boss isn't going to know. I can just go here just this time. Then I'll come back. Right. But we all always know that one time leads to the next time. And then the next time. And so the enemy lies and he makes it look good. And we think, well, maybe missing church is, is not going to hurt us. Maybe, you know, not putting the kids in, in the kids ministry is not going to hurt them. We start believing these things. Maybe we can just live together. It's kind of what everybody else is doing. We got to see if we're going to work. Maybe we're not going to work. We're not going to know if we're going to work until we live together. And so we believe the lies of culture. We believe the enemy's lies. And the lie we believe is that if I that that if I fulfill this need that I have, because these are real needs, right? The need of having a companion or friendship with, you know, with. Within a relationship is a real need. But again, as we take that real need and we use it for selfish reasons outside of God's plan, it becomes sin. And the reality is Satan will never and can never come through on his promises to you. He cannot come through on the promise that you're gonna be like God or that you're not gonna die. He is saying this, but it is not uh, something that he can actually come through on. He's saying, go ahead, it's gonna be worth it. Do this and you're going to be in control of your life. Finally, you get to be you. Take back your life, right? That's what we hear today. You'll have the power. You'll be able to do your own thing. Finally, if you just step and walk into this arena, you don't need God. Sure, you can believe in him, but you don't need to know what he wants you to do. Just believe in him. That's all you need. Just believe and just live however you feel like is necessary, be true to yourself. That's what we hear. When you think about sin, when you have a conversation about that sin, you start to doubt the word of God. The enemy makes that sin look so good that what happens next? Well, the result is that a sin is committed. Eve takes the fruit. She eats of the fruit, right? The sin is then committed and sin is anything that goes against God's word. God is the standard of right and wrong. And listen to me. What was right and wrong in 1960 is right and wrong in 2022. Uh, what was right and wrong in the 1800s, the 1600s, you can go back all the way to Adam and Eve, what is right then and what was wrong then is right today. And wrong today. And the reason is because the scriptures tell us that God does not change. He doesn't change. Culture changes constantly. Gosh, you look at the sixties and the sin that was happening around the world and the culture and that was accepted. And you're thinking, what were these people thinking? You know, culture changes. What we thought was okay in the sixties, we're, we're saying is wrong today, right? But vice versa, right? What we, what we thought was, was, was bad back then, now we're saying, is good today. But the reality is when we look to the word of God, he is our source of morality. There is no morality outside of God. I don't get to decide because I'm imperfect. You don't get to decide because you're imperfect. I might be in a good mood and let you sin today. Next week, I might be in a bad mood and, you know, maybe legalistic. I change constantly. That's how human nature is, but God does not change. So the sin is committed. And That is the rebellion against God. We reject God's word. We ignore his word. We act against his plan. And then when we do that, what often happens as a result, secondly, is that other people get hurt. Hey, Adam, here's the fruit. I just ate it, you eat it. See, anytime you're involved in sin, you're hurting other people. You're hurting your relationship with your spouse, your kids, you're hurting your future success. You're hurting yourself and others around you. She gave some to Adam and he ate. And when you put yourself, we know this, we teach our kids this. When you put yourself in the presence of sinful people, eventually you're going to sin. If you're continually exposing yourself to a crowd or to a group of people that's involved in sin or sinful thinking, you're gonna start thinking and acting eventually like them. You can only resist for so long, it's human nature. And here Eve, who was created to be the helper, has become the tempter. Adam should have been a leader. He should have demonstrated faith, but he doesn't. Should have demonstrated leadership, but he didn't. He thought about it, he talked about it, he doubted God's word, looked good to him, and so he ate. And when you're sinning with other people, we're probably doing the same thing, right? It's difficult to overcome a strategy when we put ourselves in unhealthy, bad situations. And what happens next? Then we have to face the consequences of sin. We don't get to avoid those. Sure, they didn't die immediately. They didn't die that day, but that day they started dying. See, they were created to live forever, just like you and I. We were created to live forever and we're gonna live forever somewhere but they were created not to die and eventually they did. They had to face the consequences. Not only that, but God, as you continue to read in chapter three, God curses the world. And as a result of that, we see all the different, how that impacts everything in our life, but they sin and they they immediately feel shame and they try to cover themselves up. They realize that they're naked and so they sew fig leaves together, right? And when you commit a sin, that's very similar to what you and I do. Even today, we feel shame and we try to cover that shame up. We feel bad. And so we act out in ways to overcome that shame. You see, Satan is the enticer as he is tempting us to sin. But then he becomes the accuser the minute you sin. Oh, you idiot. How could you eat that again? How could you be with her again? How could you say that again? Do you remember what you did back in college? Oh my gosh, you, you're you a terrible person. But he shames us. And so we try to cover that up by doing and, and by trying to, man, just a host of, of things that we turn to. Not only that, but then they, they hid from God. And same is true for you and I. We try to hide from God when we're in sin. That's why some people don't come to church. They're not here today. They don't wanna be around God. wanna hear about God. Don't wanna hear a sermon like this. This makes us feel the weight of what we're involved in, And so we wanna hide from God, but just like Adam and Eve, God is looking for you today. He's calling you today. That sin alienated us from God. It alienated Adam and Eve. Before our faith in Christ, we were completely separated from God without any hope. If you don't have Christ in your life today, you're still alienated from him without a relationship with your Creator. Not only that, but relationships are broken. Now there's enmity between Adam and Eve. It's why you and your wife fight today. Every single reason that you have an argument or a fight with your spouse is because of sin. Every reason. And part of our growth and maturity is overcoming those sins in our life to work with each other and to be on the same team with each other. There's relationships that are broken and then ultimately death. That is the consequence of sin for each of us. This is what the enemy wanted. This is what the enemy was trying to accomplish and what he's trying to do today. So how do we fight? How do we fight against that? And I think it's important to know the enemy's strategy, but we don't wanna focus on the enemy. We don't wanna focus on sin to overcome sin. We don't wanna learn and study more about the enemy to overcome him. In order to overcome sin and temptation, we've gotta focus on God. More focus on God. And so I'll give you three ways to focus on him today. The first one is to saturate your mind with the word of God. Everything that we're experiencing can, that is negative can be answered by the word of God. And so we've got to saturate our mind with scripture. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, you remember three times he was tempted. His response to the temptation of the enemy started like this, It is written. It is written why his mind was saturated with the word of God. You've got to get into the word. The Bible contains the mind of God, shows us how God thinks. It shows us what God's perspective is. It shows us what wisdom is and happiness and joy and blessing and eternal life looks like. I know you're busy, but we have got to saturate our minds if we're going to become the leaders that God is calling us to become. If you're gonna have the marriage that you hope to have, you've gotta begin to saturate your mind with the word of God. Secondly, we've gotta develop a daily devotion time with God. And that's a habit that a lot of us are neglecting in our life. And when we neglect that habit, the enemy, he just has his way with kicking our tails, our thought life, our reactions, how we are involving ourselves with certain things that are, that are wrong, like he just has a heyday when we're not in the word of God. This helps us focus on God. You know, in Judaism, they're told to pray three times a day in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. There's a call to prayer and that's, that's when they know they're supposed to do that. But in the New Testament, the scripture teaches us that we can talk to God every second of the day, any time of day, It doesn't say do it at specific times because God wants to give you freedom to to, to talk to him all the time and and whenever. But the problem with that so often is is that some of us are box checkers and if there's not a box to check, then we don't do it. And so that freedom sometimes uh, leads to just kind of like, I'm never gonna do it. I don't need it. I wanna encourage you to remember that when you open up the word of God, When you decide to have a time where you're gonna pray, I don't care how long it is or what time of day it is, when you do that, that is an act of service to God. That is an act of worship to God. So worship just doesn't happen when we're singing a couple of songs on Sunday, that is worship. When you are saying and prioritizing the word of God in your room, you know wherever you're at, at work, in the lunchroom, and you're just like, you know what, I'm gonna read the word. I'm gonna talk to God. I don't care how long it is. This is my act of service to God. This is my act of worship to him today. And there's so many tools. I mean, download the Bible app. It's free. There's hundreds of devotions. There's reading plans. If you're like, I'm not a reader. I don't know how to read. (laughs) Just hit play and somebody will read it to you. So why you mow the grass, let scripture be read over you. When you're falling asleep, let it be read over you. When you're driving in the car to work, let it be read over you. I'm telling you, there is power in the word of God and it will change your life. Someone was asking me last week, you know, I don't know what to do. And yes, you can buy devotion. Yes, you can do those things, but just, just start reading one of the books in the New Testament. Just pick one. They're all good. I told him, just read Romans. Start in Romans 1. Read a few verses a day. Circle things, underline things, write questions out. Get curious about the word of God. How does it fit? I dare you to find a problem with it and come to one of us and say, there's a problem with this. I I dare you to do that. I'm just telling you, the word of God is powerful. It is living, it is active, and it cuts to the heart of the sin in our life. Some of you are missing out on this opportunity. Thirdly, we've got to create environments of godliness. And so we've got to put ourselves in environments. What are we listening to? What are we watching? Who are we, who are we listening to with friendships? And who, who are we looking up to in, in, in our friendships? And if all we're doing is vegging out at home on the weekends and we're not around godly people, we're not around marriages and families that are dealing with kids and dealing with real life problems, and when real life problems come in our life, we're not gonna know what to do. Can't just watch friends and figure out relationships, right? I'm talking about the, like the TV show Friends. <laughs> like that was my education on relationships back in college. Woo, that was, that was bad, bad advice. But for some of us, that's like our education. Might surprise you, but I'm a Johnny Cash fan. And so I've got this, I, I, I bought this antique, um, record player at an antique store. It's a 1950 RCA record player, and it doesn't sound great, but I love the, the, the sound. And so I've got these old records. Johnny's one of them. I love to listen to, to him in my study when I'm like reading and just kind of hanging out, reading something, playing him, maybe Frank Sinatra, Miles Davis, something like that, Taylor Swift, you know, whatever. Um, but I do, I really do like him. And he wrote an autobiography about his life. And, and he said that because of his fame and the money that he had, the enemy tempted him and he, he fell for drugs and alcohol and he became addicted to drugs and alcohol. And he, he just talks about how many cars he wrecked cause he'd get high and then he'd go wreck his car. And one time he wrecked his car and started this forest fire and almost uh, wiped out an endangered species. And so that was a big deal. And, At the end of like his rope, where he felt so much shame and so much guilt and he didn't know what to do with it. He writes about one day when he decided to pull off the side of the road and he found a cave and he decided to get a flashlight and he decided to walk into this cave and go as deep and and, and go as as dark as he could into this cave until his flashlight, uh, the batteries died. And he said, my, my plan was when the batteries died, I was just gonna curl up and Johnny Cash was gonna disappear. And only God would, knew, would know where I'm at. He said, the weight of my sin just was so heavy. I didn't know what to do. He, he said, I didn't feel like I had uh, any hope. He wrote in his book, only God would know where he was and he was ready to let God put him wherever he put people like me. See, that's what guilt, that's what shame will do to you. He didn't feel like he could be redeemed. He felt like death was the only way for the guilt to stop. And so he did. He he walked, he said, miles into this cave and then the flashlight died. And there he was, pitch black darkness. He said he curled up into a ball And it was in that moment where he thought it was over. He was was ready, he was ready to die. But then something happened. All of a sudden he said he felt like God spoke to him. He felt like God said, John, why are you in this darkness? You don't have to live in this darkness. And he said he had a conversation with God and he said, God, I, I don't need, I don't know how to get out of here even if I wanted to. I don't know what to do, even if I wanted to get out of here. And he said, he felt the Lord say, I'll show you the way. You just got to start moving. And so he did, he started crawling in pitch blackness, not knowing how to get out through this cave, hands and his knees and just kind of crawling around until all of a sudden he said he felt a warm breeze, kind of pushing him into the right direction and then off in the distance, he saw a dim light. And he felt the Lord again speak to him and he, and he said, follow the light. And after a long time of following that dim light, it became brighter and brighter and brighter until he finally found himself on the outside of the cave and found June Carter. And he told June, he said, June, God saved me in that cave. And that day, Johnny Cash became a brand new man. He turned his life over to Jesus. See, the reality is maybe you're listening to this and and you're living in a dark place. You've fallen to the lies, to the temptations of the enemy for so long. There's just a heavy darkness in your marriage. There's a heavy darkness in your life. Maybe you're single and it just feels like you're stuck in that darkness. And maybe like Johnny, you need to hear God say to you, you don't You don't have to live in that darkness. You gotta start moving. You gotta start walking towards the light. You gotta start trusting the word of God instead of doubting the word of God. You gotta trust in the Lord today. You've gotta walk with him. You gotta trust that his plan is better than your plan. And hopefully by now you're starting to realize that your plan is not so great anyway. And maybe today you would give your life to Jesus. You trust him, you'd follow him You'd say yes to his light because you're tired of the darkness and you're you're ready to walk in the light. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. Whether you're watching online today or here in the room, would you bow your heads? And I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, I feel like I'm living in darkness. I need to give my life to Jesus. Would you just be so bold today as to just lift up your hand just as a show to God today and just say, that's me, anybody at all? Say, I'm living in darkness. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Ma'am, I see you. Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see you, sir. Here's what I wanna do. Would you just, would you just focus on God right now, the quietness of this room, This is a prayer that can begin a relationship with God. It's you admitting that you're a sinner and it's you trusting in God. It's you saying that you're gonna believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin and that if you receive him by faith, he'll forgive you of that sin and he'll give you the gift of heaven, but he'll also give you purpose and hope today and it'll begin a journey with Jesus today. If that's what you wanna do, just simply pray this prayer. Say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm living in darkness and I need you. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me right now. I give you my life. If you just prayed that prayer, would you look up here at me? Would you just look at me? Anybody at all? Just those that prayed that prayer? Would you believe that? Praise God. I'm proud of you. Thankful for you. Sir, did you pray that? Ma'am, did you pray that? Praise God. Anybody else looking at me that I can't see, wave at me. Lights are bright. Young man, Praise God. Praise God. I'm proud of you. Anybody over here that I missed? Anybody at all? Up high, I saw four or five people looking at me. Here's what I want to encourage you guys to do before you leave today scan the QR code in front of you. Let us know who you are. Even greater and better would be if you would go to the care and prayer room and just say, Hey, I just prayed that prayer. What do I do now? And they'll love on you. They'll high five you. They've got some free gifts they'll give to you to kind of put you on the right path. Whatever it is, can we give a round of applause for those folks who just prayed that prayer? Praise God. Let me pray for us and then we'll we'll close today. Hey guys, I know we're supposed to do a song, but man, I went a little over today. So uh, this is gonna be the end. Can you tell those guys that? I think they'll be okay. You guys okay? We, we, we made it through the storm and some folks are walking out of here. We're walking out of the cave in the light. Amen. Amen. Let's praise God. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, would you just give us the joy of our salvation? Give us a heart for the word of God. As we walk out of here, give us joy and victory over temptation this week. We know we're going to face it. God, give us victory. Don't let us believe the lies Don't let us doubt you. Let us trust you this week. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.